Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. song and some of the others on that album, I was just this little freshman kid trying to make the high school football team, and we were all walking into the locker room for the, oh gosh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding, yes, uh, that is actually me, not my brother, anyways, uh, high school, we were all walking into the locker room for the first time, and it was so scary, you know, because we're these freshmen, and you got these big varsity senior guys there, and like, we hear like them slapping each other on the helmets, throwing each other into the lockers and all that stuff, and in the back, you could hear like this awful, screeching, high-pitched, just blaring voice coming from this like big old 80s boombox, you know where you are, you're in the jungle, baby, you're gonna die, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was my introduction to high school in the 80s, okay? Speaking of introductions, though, my name is Tom. I am one of the pastors here at Liquid Church, and we, we just want to welcome you. You are just in time for the series finale of Rock God, I Love the 80s, a series where we've been going verse by verse through this Old Testament obscure book of Haggai, all while rocking to some of the best songs of the 80s, like you just heard. And in the process, we've been discovering God as well as ourselves. That's the amazing thing in the music and in the scriptures. I mean, who would have thought that was even possible, right? So whether you're listening from down under uh, Liquid Melbourne, where I I understand football means an entirely different thing. Go Giants, right? Or maybe you're watching online, or maybe some of you are back from summer vacation. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are just in time. We're going to have lots of fun here. So let's just start things off here with a quick show of hands. I want to see your hands. How many of you here remember the Guns N' Roses debut album, Appetite for Destruction? Can I see some hands out there? Awesome. All right. Yeah, there's a picture. Oh, look, there's a cross. They're a Christian band. Okay, anyways, that was over 20 years ago. Can you believe You're starting to feel old now? That was over 20 years ago. And yeah, you know, Guns N' Roses, I mean, they just took the MTV generation by storm, right? That debut album went straight to number one, 15 times platinum, sold over 28 million albums. In fact, it's consider- widely considered one of the best debut albums ever. Right? And a large part of that is actually due to their, believe it or not, their first and only number one single. That's right, Paradise City, Welcome to the Jungle, Patience, they weren't number ones. They only had one number one single, Sweet Child of Mine. A love song that lead singer Axl Rose wrote for his former girlfriend, to be wife, to be ex-wife, 
Erin Everly, right? Now and then when I see her face, she takes me away to that special place. And if I sing too long, you'll probably break down and cry, right? Axl Rose, the romantic, right? But true story here, true story. I once told Erica, this is way before the series, I'm not making this up, this is a couple years ago, I had come back from this jog and I said, oh, sweetie, I just had the most amazing spiritual experience. She's like, what? What are you talking? I thought you went jogging. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know, but you know, like that last leg of the run, you know, when you're just so beat down and so tired, and you just want to give up, and you just want to start walking the rest of it. Well, sweet child of mine started playing on my iPod, and and I just, I'm not kidding. I just totally felt like God was speaking to me through Guns and Roses, and, and God was like assuring me, encouraging me, Tom. Don't you ever forget, you are my sweet child of mine, right? And yeah, she did exact the awkwardness right there. That exact same thing happened, right? She, she did exactly what some of you are doing right now. She rolled her eyes, shook her head, and just judged me for a fool, right? But can I just say here, in, in all seriousness, and maybe in my own kind of foolish defense, that song truly ministered to me, right? And yeah, listen, I know, please, no emails, okay? I know that hermeneutically speaking, that's like totally out of whack, right? And, and I'm not trying to make a case here for extra biblical revelation or anything like that. I mean, I've kind of taken a seminary class or two, so I know the whole drill. I know what you can and cannot say, right? So just relax here for a second, because all I'm saying is this. To be reminded and know, even, yes, even feel, that you, your, your perfect heavenly father actually loves you to no end. That you're actually cherished by God. That no matter what you've done or where you've been, there isn't a single person here who in their right mind and in their right heart would not give up everything to walk out those same doors that you walked through. To know that truth for sure. That God the father loves you as his sweet child. To go home and live life knowing and feeling you cannot do anything to make God love you more or to make him love you less. Right? To realize that God, the perfect father, actually looks at you, you, and he just loves you so much unconditionally that his heart actually swells to the tune of something like sweet child of mine. As crazy as that may sound, many of you need to know the truth of that. Many of you need to let that truth penetrate your heart some way, somehow, and just lodge itself in there. Just let it rest in there, germinate in there, grow in your heart. Tell me that's not true. You see, because this is why I think so many of you, right? So many of you on these connection cards just last week, you wrote down your prayer request. In fact, I'm told that a record number of you actually, second most ever as a matter of fact, which isn't too shabby for a holiday weekend, right? 
The second most number, most ever number of you actually wrote down your prayer requests and, and, and shared your heart with such candor and humility. And I just, I just love that. And if I had to choose from the literally hundreds that we received, just one card that sort of summed up the sentiments of so many, of a large majority, it would have to be this one from a young lady. And I actually think that she attended this six o'clock service. She wrote, quote, I don't quite know what it will take for me to believe completely that God truly, unconditionally loves capital M, capital E. It's something I have always struggled with and it affects my relationship with God and my relationship with everyone else. I know it's a huge part of what needs to change inside of me internally. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, do, do you see that? This, this whole sweet child of mine thing, I know we, we're having it for fun and that, that's great, but, but this whole sweet child of mine thing, sung from the perspective of God the Father to us, His children, it's not a joke. It, it's, it's just not. In, in fact, if there were a way that we could just somehow grab that concept, bottle that truth, never forget it, and have the power of that show itself in our every single day of our lives, that through the sacrifice of God's only Son, Jesus Christ, that we've all, through faith, have become His sons and daughters, that we've been adopted as these children of faith. If we truly believe that in our hearts, life would be so different, wouldn't it? You see, that's the whole book of Haggai in a nutshell. That's where Haggai was getting at. It started with this whole rebuilding the temple thing, right? And we understand now that that was actually, it wasn't so much about rebuilding this temple to God, but it was about rebuilding our relationship with God, right? It was about turning the page to a new chapter in your life. Right? It was about rebuilding your relationship with God, not just rebuilding this temple to Him. It was about the, this concept that, yes, you know, the, that, that naturally we are God's children, estranged and lost from our Heavenly Father, but that God actually made a way for us to reconnect, for, to rebuild this relationship, first by laying the foundation of the temple. Right? In this case, on Jesus Christ, the desired of all nations, that we're born anew, that, that we are children of God, this new creation, the past is forgiven, and, and we're washed and we're clean, and, and that the page is turned, and we can begin the chapter 2 of our lives, right? With God's presence in the temple of our hearts. But, but actually, before we go rebuilding the exterior and changing things on the outside, that His Spirit actually, remember this, it has to prime the interior of our hearts, right? We don't just go, you know, slapping on some new paint and calling it a day, right? Because there's actually a huge difference between a false start and a fresh start, right? Uh, and we have to be honest. In order to do that interior work, we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest with God. Uh, we have to take ownership over the fact, yeah, you know, I actually had a part to play in my divorce, uh, the, the, this unforgiveness and bitterness that I hold on to, it's, it's not a good thing. Or uh, the sinful habits that, that I still privately enjoy and actually have no intentions of giving up because, because you know what? No one can see them, right? Uh, until we actually admit this self to ourselves and, and to God, uh, only at that point, then and only then, can His Spirit fully move into our lives to sand down, to strip, 
to, to, to you know, scrape and patch the cracks and, and prime the, the internal aspects of our lives, our, our hearts, so that God can truly do a new thing inside of us. Right? That has to happen. But then what? Right? What, what then? Where, where do we go now? As Axel Rose would say, you know, where do we go now? Right? Turn with me, would you, to Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 is found on page 657 in your Bibles. And I'm looking here at the second to last paragraph there. And we're going to read this one together. Everyone here, those of you listening, watching online, let's read this verse together to try and make some sense of where we go now from here. Okay? Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 on page 657. Let's read this together. The word of the Lord... I can't hear you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a... Second time on the 24th day of the month. Notice right there, right away. God is speaking for what? The second time on the same day. Kind of a special day, no? In other words, first God spoke about this whole interior, exterior thing, right? That was last week's message, right? He said that on one particular day, on the 24th month of so-and-so and so-and-so, right? And now he's speaking for the second time... On the same day. But you know what? That's not even the most interesting thing. The really interesting thing is what God says next. Look with me there at verse 21. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. Right? I mean, what's, okay, what's, what's the big deal there? Right? I mean, we actually... If you, I remember to earlier in chapter 2, we, we actually heard how God was going to shake the heavens and the earth. That's a lot of this you know, Bible language going on there, right? What's the big deal, right? Check this out. Sometimes it's not in the what, but it's in the who, right? Or, or think of it this way. Who is God speaking to here in verse 21? Who is he speaking to? Zerubbabel. Exactly. And this is significant because, you know what, if you look back over Haggai, chapter 2, earlier in chapter 2, if you look at chapter 1, right, you'll notice that this is the first time in the whole book, in this last section, it's the first time where God is just now deciding for the first time to address one single person. You see... All this time, if you look back, earlier in chapter 2, earlier in chapter 1, all this time, all these five weeks that we've been spending together, God spoke through his prophet Haggai to who? To the masses, to all of you, to all the people of God, to the entire remnant, as Haggai put it, right? But here, in this last section, in this last chapter, so to speak, God speaks directly and clearly to one single person, Zerubbabel. Maybe. Maybe there's one single person here today that God wants to speak to. Maybe there's one message, a message that God himself has for one 
single person, a personal message. Uh, uh, he, he now wants to get personal and speak to one single person, like a father to his child. A message for you. Could that be the case? One message for one person here today. But why? Why me? And, and in this case, why Zerubbabel? I mean, I mean Zerubbabel, that's not even a good name, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny, it's a weird, it's Zerubbabel. I mean, but don't worry about it. In Hebrew, it just means Bob, okay? But seriously though, why of all people, why a personal message for this Zerubbabel? Well, Tom, you know, he's it's because you know, he's, he's a man of power. He's a man of influence. He has authority. He, don't you know he was a governor? In fact, he, he must have been a great governor, right? You know, God's giving him this personal, single, individual message. He must be just an awesome governor. Hardly. As a matter of fact, I, I, I mean, talk about a sketchy track record here. I want you to think of it this way. The temple of God actually came to ruin during his watch. I'm like thinking that's not, a, that's not a good thing. You know, in the Old Testament especially, the temple of God, that was like a big thing, right? It, it came to ruin during his watch. And, and that's not even mentioning the fact that he was the governor of a people at a time when the exiled Jews were returning back to Jerusalem. So as a people, these Jews, they were a sorry, weary bunch. I'm, I'm just... It, it, they were harassed by their enemies, tired, discouraged, and poor. And Zerubbabel was their leader, right? I mean, can you imagine being in his shoes? I mean, I mean, you just know there had to have been some serious doubts. Doubts about his people. Doubts about himself. Doubts about his own calling, right? No resources, no money to do this whole project, you know, this temple project. Very low morale, right? He probably doubted his own abilities. He probably doubted his own leadership qualities, feeling like he wasn't up for the task. Have you ever been there? That's, a, that's just a miserable place to be, right? Uh, he, he didn't exactly have the greatest track record here. He didn't have exactly have a great start here. Yet God has a single personal message specifically for him and him alone. See, some of you here today, you want to follow God. But you actually think that your track record disqualifies you. You want to follow God. You want to do great and mighty works for Him. But you, you, you're just thinking, no way. Not, not for me. I just don't have what it takes. So and so and so and so maybe, but not me. Right? You have your doubts. You want to hear. There, there's a person here who doesn't want to hear a personal, specific, individual, detailed message from God. But, but for many of us, somewhere deep inside of your hearts, you feel as though God would never waste his time on you. He only speaks to people like Tim who pray all day and are very holy and read their Bibles, but he would never speak to someone like you. Your life is just so messed up, right? I mean, why would he speak to someone who, who you know, you, you, your marriage is failing. Your house is falling apart. Or, or maybe, maybe you've run amok, you know, and just you're ignoring God and you've been ignoring God for years and you've been living and, and thinking only for yourself. And, and there's no way that God would speak to you, some of you are thinking, right? 
It's almost like it's almost like your 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 default is oh well God's just giving me the silent treatment. God would never speak to you, right? But that's not true. Zerubbabel dropped the ball, but God God spoke to him, and He wants to speak to you. Okay, but say I can get over that hump. Say I just give you the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, okay, so God. What was God's message to Zerubbabel then? Right? Verse 23. Look with me there. It says, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. <laughs> Say What? I mean, I don't know any Hebrew, but I will make you like my signet ring. I mean, that must be a bad thing, right? I don't know what a signet ring is, but that's, that's got to be bad, right? I mean, he dropped the ball. Uh, for I have chosen you? Is that what it says? Yeah. I've chosen you? Yeah, for destruction, maybe. Right? Um, no, actually, not at all. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew understanding of the signet ring, I'm pointing to my wedding ring here, but you know, the signet ring was, was actually a powerful symbol of the king's authority, of, of his identification upon something. It was actually a sign of his ownership over something. It, the, the king, the, the signet ring, right? He, the king would just, there were no John Hancock's bent in. There were no just, you know, personal identification numbers. No, no, no. The signet ring for the king, he would just press this thing. He would take that. It was his sign of identification, authority. authority uh, his authentic, uh, authenticity. He would, he would take it and he would just press it. He would press it on this hot wax and he would mark it and he'd say, I authorize this. That's what the signet ring was about. It was an extension of the actual king. It was a marking of the king. In other words, God was saying to Zerubbabel, this governor who had in so many ways, he had dropped the ball. God is saying to that governor, look, I'm going to do a work in you. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to rock this world and I'm going to usher in my kingdom and I'm actually going to use you. I'm actually going to press my fist into you. I authorize it. I'm going to use you in a one of a kind way to do it. Why? Because I've chosen you. Because you're mine. You need to think ownership here. God owns you. I, I, I want you to be a part of this incredible work I'm about to do. And by the way, all works of God are incredible. There's nothing less. God doesn't do less than incredible things. And God's saying, I'm going to do an incredible work and I'm going to use you to do it. Not because you're so good looking. <laughs> Not because of your track record. Not because of your resume or your experience. But because you're my child, and I'm your father, and that will never change. That's why. Uh, that I, I'm your father, you're my child. Whatever you do or don't do, that aspect will never change. I've chosen you, and I've decided to do great things in and through you before you even existed. But you know, 
That idea, let's just be real here for a second, come back down to earth, right? That idea is so foreign to us, isn't it? Because you see, you and I, we, we do not operate like this. We do not think like this, right? Uh, Monday through Saturday, right? No, instead we're like, you dropped the ball, dude. You're going to pay for it, right? Or, or, dude, things fell apart on your watch, so guess who's getting fired? Not me, right? But a lot of times God actually has something completely different in mind. See, God is not bound by time and space. Uh, He can actually see like the whole panoramic view. He can see the whole picture without getting lost in this minute detail, this little corner over here, the way that we often do. We like to like focus on this little thing and this little thing becomes the whole picture. But not for God. Right? It's just amazing. You know, it reminds me actually of Earlier in, 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 in ministry, my earlier days in ministry, I was this pastor to college students. I was you know, college ministry pastor. And here's a little secret, by the way. You can always minister uh, pretty effectively to college students, particularly college men, uh, so long as you can do two of these three things. Number one, you have to master PlayStation 2. Okay? That's the first thing. If you can do two of these three things, you're going to be a pretty good college pastor. Uh, Master PlayStation 2, number one. Number two, uh, talk about masturbation. And number three, talk about masturbation. Okay? Now, no need to get, please, you know, if you're a parent here or something, no need to get all crazy here about the M-word. I'm I'm not going to get graphic or anything like that. But but we're going to talk about some failures here. Okay? And and I want to tell you something here. One of the most powerful things... I ever came across during that college ministry were these two articles written by John Piper. John Piper's like this theologian, author, pa- pastor of this big church out in Minnesota. Great guy, godly man. I read and listen to his stuff all the time, okay? Anyways, he wrote these two articles for like his, his church newsletter, okay? Uh, these two articles were called uh, How to Deal with the Guilt of Sexual Failure for the Glory of Christ and His Global Cause. And the second article was called Missions and Masturbation. This was his Baptist church newsletter, okay? Now, now what's the connection here? Missions, missions is God using us for his glorification. Masturbation is the ultimate form of self-glorification. Right? And remember now, we're talking here about the idea that God still uses us no matter what our failures, no matter what our shortcomings in life, right? In Piper's case, he's actually addressing sexual failures, but this can apply to any kind of failure, right? But listen to what he wrote here. He writes this, quote, The great tragedy is not mainly masturbation or fornication. You can fill in the blank, right? The great tragedy is not mainly masturbation or fornication. The tragedy is that Satan uses the guilt of these failures... To strip you of every radical dream you ever had or might have. And in its place, give you a happy, safe, secure American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair. Creak, creak, creak. Until you die in your lakeside rocking chair, wrinkled and useless, leaving a big fat inheritance to your middle-aged children to confirm them in their worldliness, that's the main tragedy. Ouch. I mean, 
John, dude, lay off. Can, could you be a little more specific there? Sure, he continues. Uh, what breaks my heart today is not mainly that you have sinned sexually, but that this morning Satan took your 2 a.m. encounter in the hotel room, whether on TV or in bed, and told you, see, you're a loser. You may as well not even go to worship. No way are you going to make any serious impact for Jesus Christ in this world. You may as well go back to school and get a good practical education and then a good job so you can buy yourself a big widescreen TV and watch sex till you drop. He continues, I want to take that weapon out of the devil's hand. Yes! I want you to have the joyful courage not to even do the channel surfing. But sooner or later, whether it's that sin or another, you are going to fall. So I want to help you deal with the guilt of that failure so that Satan does not use it to produce another wasted life. End quote. See, folks, every single person here, we all have these hurts, habits, and hang-ups. These failures and stumbles and, and breakdowns, sins done to us and sins done by us and sins that cause us to doubt God would ever choose us for anything. And yeah, you know what? We're not sugarcoating anything. Things did break down on Zerubbabel's watch. Everyone went just buck wild. Right? They, they went overboard. He, he, you know, Zerubbabel himself, he probably got caught up in the whole frenzy as well, right? I need a bigger crib. I need more bling, more toys for my boys, whatever it is. Okay, we get that. None of us are immune to any of those things. But you know something? In Christ, new chapter. Flip the page, fresh start, going to do the exterior and interior work at the same time, right? That's what the Spirit does. You know something else? Yeah, along the way, you will definitely fail. How's that for a message? You're going to fail. You're going to fall, you're going to stumble, you're going to get banged up, nicked up, scarred, right? And, and, and you know what? The tragic thing is, you're going to take others down with you. Those that, that you love the most, you're going to take them down with you. They're going to they're gonna get hurt as well. But mark this, none of that changes God's plan for you. His gifts and his callings are irrevocable, right? He still wants to use you. He still wants you to be a part of what he's doing. And what he's doing is always incredible. He wants you to be a part of that incredible thing. In fact, his is the best option always. Don't think that you're on plan B or C. No, no, no. His is always the best. He still calls you to himself. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty, like a king's ring pressed into hot wax. He's got this signet ring, and he's, and he's just pressing it in there. You see, God chooses to speak to us and use us in spite of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. What I mean is this, you know, for for some of you, for some of you it's actually a hurt, right? 
uh, uh, something done to, to you, a sin done to you. Maybe, you know, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe your father abandoned you or maybe he shamed you. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. I, I, wish, I wish you were never born, you know, you, you, you're, just, you're just a total loser, right? These are sins committed against us. For others of you, it's, it's maybe a habit. This is a sin that we commit against ourselves. It's like we're binding ourselves, shackling ourselves, handcuffing ourselves. And, and it's like we'll never get rid of these things. We, we feel like we're going to take these things to our grave, right? Things like porn and, and alcoholism and, and self-medicating tendencies like the now infamous alternating weekly diets that we talked about last week, right? I'm just, I'm just never going to get over it. This is just who I am and I, I, I can't break this habit, right? And finally, for others of you, it's some sort of hang-up. Uh, these are things that just just absolutely paralyze us. They are dream killers, right? These are things like doubts uh, that God uh, about God that we can never get over. It, it's it's the classic. If God's so great and loving, then dot 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 fill in the blank, right? If God's so great and loving, then then why did my aunt who had three kids have to die and, and leave them all behind, right? Why is there so much evil in this world? Or or another hangout would be, oh, you know what? God can't use me. I have nothing to offer. Or, a lot of times what I've noticed is there's the exact opposite of that, right? Oh, no, God can't use me because I can't risk following God in this new venture because I have too much to lose, right? Either way, we get stuck. We get hung up on this thing. And we resist the truth that God can just press His ring into the ordinary lives of ours and say, I am choosing you for something extraordinary. He makes extraordinary what's ordinary. Right? Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Which, which is it for you? Because I tell you what, God can speak and work in and through you in spite of whatever combination of those you may have. You see, the important detail here is that God chooses us not because of our strengths, but because of His. Right? You see, because if, if we look to our inner self, our inner resources, we're always going to come up short. You see, Zerubbabel, he actually did complete the rebuilding of the temple. Right? But, but do you know how he did it? Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 actually tells us how he did it. It says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, guys, you don't have to force it. You don't have to muscle this thing, right? Don't try to think positive thoughts. Just believe in yourself, right? That's, that's not what it is. Rather, God says, believe in me. I'm the one that's stamping you. This is my signature. What are you saying about me? What are you saying about my ring then? Believe in me. I'm putting my mark on you. God chooses you and not the other way around. As a matter of fact, ultimately, and this is like, this just kind of blows my mind away. Very interesting. Did, did, did you know this? God used Zerubbabel in such a huge way, not just to rebuild the temple, but to usher in the king. Right? What I mean is this. As it turned out, Zerubbabel actually proved to be a direct descendant of the royal line of King David. It's actually listed there in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. In other words, 
He was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. Yet, some of you are getting it now. Zerubbabel was a great, 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 great granddaddy of Jesus Christ himself. See, See, we, we, we think, oh yeah, God's called us, He's chosen, okay, yeah, so I'm Zerubbabel, yeah, okay, so God's just chosen me for this thing here, to rebuild the temple, and that's how He's going to use me, right? And we, we just think like this, thing, but remember, His way is just so incredible, panoramic view, and it's like, yeah, we, but it's also this thing too. It's amazing. See, God can use us if we believe Christ's strength is greater than our weakness. If we believe that it's greater than our deepest doubts. That, that there's a grace and mercy found at the cross that is greater than all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. So here's a question for you. What is your one hurt habit or hang up? What's that one thing in your life that keeps you from dreaming the most ridiculous dreams for God? Just, wait, what's that one thing in your life that keeps you from dreaming bigger and wilder and hearing the most audacious things from God and what He has in store for you? What's that one thing? What's that one lie? That the enemy just loves to whisper into your ear and into your heart over and over again. You cannot, you're a loser. God cannot use you. How's God going to use a person like you when you struggle with something like that? Right? What's that one hang up of yours that, that you think that there's no way I can be God's signet ring? There's no way God would ever choose me for this kind of work. What is it? What is that one thing for you? What is that one thing that comes to your mind? Don't edit it. Don't filter it. We, we just Actually, just capture it right now. What is that one thing? Would you identify that one thing, that one hurt or habit or hang up of yours, that dream killer, that life sucker, that never ending haunting lie and frustration and capture it. Just, just, just ca- identify it. Just write it down in your connection card. I got my connection card over here. Would you take out your connection card and just let me see your connection cards. Do you guys all have them there? All right. Take out your pens. Okay. And write it down. Hey, listen, I know, I know this is, you don't even want to see it in ink. I don't want to see mine either. Okay, but let's just take this time. Let's just write it down. Let's just confess it. We'll write it down. We'll capture it. Okay, then we're going to do something a little bit different. So no one's looking. You don't have to show your neighbor or anything like that. Just take a second and write it down. You don't have to show anybody. Okay, it's, it's, it's ugly, right? Mine's, mine's ugly. I don't like admitting it. I don't like seeing it. I don't like seeing it in ink. I don't like identifying it. I don't like confessing it. But go ahead and write it down. Okay, everyone's got it written down. I'm showing you the backside of mine and I'm covering it with two fingers. Okay? Everyone got it? All right? Show me that you got it here. Just just show me that you got it here. Okay? We're going to do something a little bit different. This is how we're going to end our series. Okay? I need everyone to write a big, fat X over that thing. And just have it feel so good. Cross it out. That thing is a total lie. 
That thing does not have to stop you. Whatever it is that you wrote down does not have to get in the way between you and God. It does not have to get in the way between you and the best thing that God has for you. That thing is not who you are in Christ. That that is not who you are as a fully forgiven, radically accepted, sweet child of God. Right? I will make you like my signet ring. I'm going to put my mark on you. Why? Because I've chosen you. Why? Because you're my child. I'm your father. He puts his mark on you. He, he takes that signet ring and he just stamps it on you and stamps out whatever you've written there on your card. So, so go ahead and put that big fat X on it, cover it up, right? And then just, you know what? You're already in Haggai. Just bury it in the word of God. Just bury it in Haggai. Just stick it there in your Bibles because you know what? You are going to walk out of here and you're literally going to leave it behind. Just leave it there. Bury it. Don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the scraps, don't worry about that. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, last thing here, the distinguishing mark of the child of God, of one who believes in Jesus Christ, his only son, the distinguishing mark of faith is not perfection. See, the mark of faith is not that I never drop the ball or that I never sin sexually or that I never lie or that I never doubt. That's, that's not the distinguishing mark. No. The mark of faith is that I fight. The mark of faith is that I fight. Piper put it this way. I fight anything that dims my sight of Jesus as my glorious Savior. I fight Anything that diminishes the fullness of the Lordship of Jesus in my life. I fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. Anything that stands between me and receiving Jesus, faith fights. Not with fists or knives or guns or bombs. But fights with the truth of Jesus Christ. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. That's how this book ends. You fight because you've heard these words and absorbed them like the, like the cherished, beloved child of God that you are. You are chosen. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are chosen. He will use you. That's God's message to one person here today. Maybe more, I suspect. I I hope. I pray. You know, think of it this way. You believe in the Father. Great. Awesome then you should also know that your heavenly father believes in you. Your heavenly father believes in you. Christ is in you. Let's follow him boldly. Amen? Won't you stand with me and we'll pray. Father, 
Your word says that we did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Lord, I just want to thank you that through Jesus Christ, I get to call you Daddy. And I don't have to listen to lies. And I don't have to focus on my own inadequacies and my own shortcomings, my own hang-ups and and habits and, and hurts. But that I can focus on something much greater, much bigger. And that is you. And my prayer for every single person here is, Lord, that you would somehow take the weapons out of Satan's hands and and the guilt that leads to uh, depression and and zombie-like spiritual status, Uh, but fill it instead with with a a, a spirit that that just yearns for you and wants to cling to you, Lord. Give us boldness to follow you and be the children of God that we truly are through faith in Jesus Christ. We love you. We worship you. Father, that's all we want to do more and more of for the rest of our days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.